Welcome to the Reimagine Mobility Podcast. I'm here today with John First of Tula. John, thanks for joining me today. You got a rich history. You work with a very interesting company that plays a very important role in the mobility space, not just passenger vehicle, but across different uh, segments of the mobility space. Ready to start out with John, introduce yourself, a little bit of your background, and then certainly for many people who may not know what Tula does, uh, explain what it is that Tula does, and we'll take it from there and start to get out this journey of reimagining mobility. All right. All right. Great. Well, first of all, thanks uh, for, for having me on to have this conversation with you, Stefan. It's uh, been a pleasure getting to know you over the last couple of years, and uh, happy to be with you here now. Um, so my background has uh, always been automotive, joined General Motors uh, four decades ago, and uh, since then spent most of my time at GM, then Delphi, powertrain, uh, starting in engineering, but later finance, marketing, and some general management, and got to run the diesel business at Delphi for a, a little while. Um, but anyway, more more recently, maybe more interestingly in some ways, I joined Tula Technology in 2016, so that's uh, seven years ago. And Tula Technology is a uh, California-based, Silicon Valley-based uh, startup um, in the automotive, but also in the software and control space. And we've developed a couple technologies, um, Dynamic Skip Fire one and Dynamic Motor Drive another, that have uh, interesting ability to increase efficiency, um, essentially through software and calibration only. Uh, we're not focusing on hardware. Uh, in fact, we're not so much focusing on software per se, but rather intellectual property creation, uh, which enables higher efficiency in uh, energy conversion, so uh, so that's what I've been up to and uh, and and enjoying it. Excellent. So let's jump right in. It the other day I read and I forgot where it was, but somebody made the statement that, and I'm paraphrasing. We oftentimes forget how important software is for the performance of batteries. You just alluded. You help with your software within your intellectual property uh, make vehicles, ICE vehicles, EV vehicles, more efficient. John, in your history that is very rich with, with powertrain, as you just explained to the listener viewers, is this something that's new, how important software is? Or maybe, first of all, do you agree with this statement? And then second of all, is this only something that recently has come to the surface? Have you always believed in it? Uh, and where do you see it going? Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, I think, you know, what software is doing uh, for us, with us, you know, together with uh, innovation or transportation technology, you know, of course it goes back, it goes back 50 years, let's say, um, you know, more recently, and of course, you know, fashions come and go. And, and now I, I, many of, many of us, if not all of us are saying, you know, software defined vehicle. And, uh, you know, first of all, what I think that means is creating hardware that is flexibly responsive to alternative control strategies. When you build, you know, in the end, our physical experience is happening with physical stuff, which software is not. But then, so why is software important? Well, because software allows us to design, create, and have 
bits of hardware, like our smartphone, right? You could say it's just a brick, but of course it's not. I mean, you get the you get the control, the software, and the zeros and ones moving around, and it's massively, massively flexible and delivers all kinds of incredible different experience and value and entertainment and all of that. Um, and yeah, it's it's happening because of the software, but it's enabled because the hardware, the microcontroller, et cetera, all of that is designed to respond to this infinitely flexible uh, you know, acceptance of software that enables things to happen in in complex and really, you know, satisfying ways. So it's totally different than what we were doing with, you know, in the seventies with emission control and you know, closed loop uh, three way catalysis and stuff like that. And yeah, there was software and calibration and um, you know, PI control. But the more we've been able to create hardware that's responsive to complex software, the more we've been able to do with it. So, um, so maybe that was your first question. And, um, you know, at Tula, our, our, let's say Tula 2 point, or excuse me, Tula uh, 1.0 technology, let me say it that way, uh, is what we call dynamic skip fire, uh, which is uh, cylinder deactivation controls at uh, individual cylinder level on a combustion event by combustion event basis. And uh, we put that into production with General Motors. Uh, uh, General Motors calls it uh, dynamic fuel management, and they've got that on V8 engines across many vehicles. And, uh, you know, by all accounts, has had a nice implementation there uh, between two and three million vehicles already on the road um, with uh, the GM DFM, uh, you know, whose core, let's say, uh, a core control is our dynamic skip fire. Um, and that implementation, of course, requires cylinder deactivation hardware at some hardware cost. And that's the hardware which then can respond to a sophisticated uh, combustion event by combustion event control, which reduces fuel consumption by reducing pumping losses, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, so that's, let's say, the, the, the Tula Tula 1.0 and uh, Tula 2.0 now has been what we've been doing in the electrification space. So, John, if we take the the approach of Tula 1.0, 1.2, let's let's for a moment envision mobility, reimagine mobility. I'm going to say Tula 5.0. Is there something you guys could look at to say, I could come to you, download a certain set of an app. Let's call it an app, right? So everybody understands. I download the app. And I flash it in my software-defined vehicle, and now suddenly my vehicle is more efficient. Am I crazy? Am I envisioned the mobility or reimagined mobility within the realm of possibilities, or what do you see? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm glad you said 5.0. So that means we got a few generations, uh, you know, between <laughs> between today and what you have in mind there. Um, so. No, I, I, I like the I like the question. Um, but I think to come back to where we are today, what we're doing right now with dynamic motor drive for e drive application, we're doing a similar um uh, pulse based uh higher fuel electrical fuel efficiency uh strategy that, that improves uh uh e drive efficiency by one to two percent, you know, depending on architecture and, and uh topology, et cetera. Um 
but without just going into that in detail right now and trying to really think about the future and you know downloading and flashing in more more efficiency let's let's just let's just insist on that question um i think that's that's difficult and and a little bit far away i think when we first talked about software defined vehicle and i talked about a a smartphone or we're talking about how the vehicle uh, responds to the driver and and a driver being able to get in and control you know HVAC and infotainment and 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 seat and heating and all of that sort of human machine in, interface where you know the way the vehicle responds to the driver's input the gain on 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 the knobs and how you how you inter- interact with the vehicle i think there there's enormous flexibility on how the car can be programmed and i can see yes you can you can flash that and do that over the air and and do exciting things that people say well okay it's it's much more my vehicle and i can make it for me and and i can select different different ways of of experiencing the vehicle when i'm in it um you know going back now though to to Tula and what we're trying to do is is energy efficiency when we're trans uh, transforming you know energy and carriers taking fuel into a heat engine and making work or taking electricity and putting it through an e-machine and and creating work um there then it gets maybe a little bit more constrained let's say because um you know those are much more let's say focused and and specifically optimize systems already trying to be as efficient as you can. And a lot of the things we do to get efficiency, whether it's combustion or in e-drive, you know, is constrained by the fact that we're creating motive torque for a vehicle and the safety considerations, you know, are paramount there. And so you know the likelihood that we can do a lot of things to say, oh, we've 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 got a new little approach we can flash in to get a little more efficiency out. You know, I I think our industry probably is still at the point where you probably want to try that out pretty thoroughly on the road and do some homologation, a little bit of validation before you do those things uh, that impact how the vehicle is moving. <laughs> in space and and not just about the experience of the human in the car. Um, But we're certainly going in that direction. And and I'll give us as an example, our dynamic motor drive for for e-drive system efficiency improvement. Um, There's no question that some versions of it can be implemented with little or no hardware change at all. So in terms of the principle of software being able to cause an existing set of hardware to give a new experience um that's definitely that's definitely there in what we're doing right now with dynamic motor drive and that um you know with a essentially pure software and calibration approach you can tease out meaningful amount of incremental efficiency you still want to do proper validation but in the end it becomes essentially a pure uh, software and cal revision to a complex physical system where you actually get a different physical result in terms of energy transformation from electricity to kinetic m- movement of a vehicle. You're talking a lot, and we're talking a lot in efficiency, right? Both traditional ICE and certainly EVs, and this is where you guys are in. 
John, with your history and your experience in the in the automotive space and the mobility space, what do you think are the three things that maybe we as an industry are not yet focused on enough, right? And what I mean with that is at AVL, we look at heavily at, at, at thermal management when we, when we look at an even, can we optimize it, right? How can you optimize all the electrical consumers, for example, in a vehicle? And again, in many cases, with less hardware changes, but more software and software strategy, uh, address the efficiency, right? The efficiency usage. And then clearly with system architecture and how to better or smarter, whatever, architect an EV for heating, cooling, whatever it might be. What What is your perspective on where the industry has still room to grow or room to refocus and should be focused? I think I would, I would like to say that the industry is is doing a, you know, the beginning of a of a of a good transition to more flexibility and more variety, even even in the face of the economic financial constraints and challenges of making the move that the industry is making right now, the electrification. Um, uh, you know, wave or trend or whatever it is over the last few years, it's really accelerated. And when I look around the industry and I see the the different solutions that are out there and recognizing what it costs to implement that kind of variety at the same time, you're keeping a lot of other stuff going. Um, you know, I would say that that's something I've always thought, you know, you want to you don't want to pretend that you know enough to say, this is what we're going to do and this is our direction. And it's, you know, it's nice to have focus. It's nice to, you know, pick a path and follow your path. But, you know, stuff's changing and things are moving all the time. So, you know, I think working on that balance between, you know, spreading your bets, recognizing that a little bit of variety is probably a good idea because, you know, some shit's going to happen that you don't predict or expect. And and you want to you want to hedge your bets a little bit. You know you got to do something. You got to make commitments. And factories and capitalizing vehicles is wildly expensive, right? So you got to make serious decisions and say, okay, we're going to do this. But you also got to do a little bit of that as well. And you know one example uh, you know that's near and dear to to Tula's heart is what's happening with motor topology um, with the movement from uh, let's say. The beginnings here of, of 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 high volume EV production is pretty much all permanent magnets and and uh, and rare earth metals are, are great for what they do for for temperature and and uh, and delivering power density and and durability. It's all great, and that's fine. On the other hand, you've got significant environmental, um, you know, headwinds and you know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, costs to be incurred there, and and what I see in the industry um, moving towards wound rotor machines, what uh, what Renault, BMW, others have done already in production, and what we at Tula see across the industry uh, from tier ones and OEs is that the wound rotor technology, which okay maybe had some catching up to do, and you know there's there's challenges there too, but in terms of you know efficiency comparison. Um, we see the efficiency getting quite similar 
And, okay, of course, from the Tula perspective, we like the wound rotor because our DMD technology delivers two to three times as much benefit to a wound rotor machine as a permanent magnet machine. And so we're, okay, we're, we're cheering on the, the, the wound rotor. But, you know, having, having the alternatives out there and the guys that are working on, on axial flux that are looking at different, uh, um, you know, battery chemistries, it's really expensive to spread your bets, but I think, you know, flexibility and having some variety is critical, especially now that, you know, we're only a few years, really, whatever, call it a decade, um, in electrification. And I think there's just so much to be learned, right? We, we polished the combustion engine for a hundred years. Um, and yeah, the e-machines have been around a hundred years too, but, but not in the way we're using them now. So, um, so for me, I think um, to remind ourselves that there's so much we don't we don't still know, and we need to be ready for surprises. Yeah, I think that's a very very good point. I agree with you. So if we if we take that theme and kind of carry it on and say, then what in your opinion, John, are the the two main areas where you believe over the next five years? most innovation will happen is it is it e-motor as you just mentioned is it battery chemistry from going to solid state for example and being able to manufacture those at scale is it uh is it more of a complete electrified propulsion system is it again going back to software we can we can talk about propulsion we can talk about the complete car up to what to you what are the one or two main things you see happening over the next let's say five years Right, right, right. Yeah, but as I listened to your question, I wrote a couple of things down. The first thing that comes to my mind is that um, it's often easiest, I, I think, to think that you know the most opportunity and the most potential for change and everything else is is probably going to happen in areas you don't you don't know that much about. So as you asked the question, I was thinking to myself, "Holy cow! There's all kinds of ways to make that battery, and 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 a lot of things are happening in battery space, but." As, it's not my space. I don't know. But from my distance, I look over there and say, holy cow, there's all, all kinds of stuff in the pipeline. It looks super exciting over there. Okay. But I don't know batteries, so I'm going to stop on batteries there. Um, you know, I'd say in, in, in the rest of, let's say, e-propulsion driveline, you know, there's been a lot of time spent, a lot of effort spent there. And I think that that one of the areas where I think we're probably going to get some some good surprises is on the manufacturing side. I think that when we look at whether it's, let's just say, axial flux or IPM or wound rotor, you know, those types of technologies, part of the, part of the challenges, I, I think, um, axial or wound rotor maybe, let's say, are manufacturing challenges. Product design, product innovation is important, but a lot of the things that that you know, kind of finally hit the market and are successful. They're very often little bit oldish ideas that everybody knew was a bright idea, but you couldn't do it. And somebody figured out how to do it. And so for me, you know, the manufacturing side is is the area where I I think probably doesn't get as much credit as it should in terms of you know why did why did something finally hit the market and and really kill it. Um, you know, I think the manufacturing side is, and maybe that's because where I started, I guess, way back long ago. So, you know, that's part of it. But to specify the manufacturing 
of a product, you know, always involves more parameters than the specification of the product, right? I guess that's kind of natural. So I think manufacturing is a big deal. And coming back to the beginning of our discussion, the software topic, software defined, software defined hardware, maybe that's a way to say it, right? The, um, the hardware is designed in order to be able to deliver, you know, a kaleidoscope of resulting function depending on the software that that uh, that that tells it how to how to how to act, how to behave. Right, right. I think you're making a very good point. Everybody talks about software and the software-defined vehicle, but software by itself is not going to do anything. So the hardware, as much as we seem to give it sort of a a, uh, a, a reduced role or reduced importance to me is as important, if not more important than, than the software itself, because the greatest software without hardware is not going to be anything. Right. So, right. Yeah. I think, I think there's a, just, just one more, just one more word there on hardware and software. You know, there's a, there's a virtuous circle there, right? Because the more, the more the hardware is, is defined in a way that, the software can control it differently, and generally, the more electrified the hardware function is, the more the software can control it, right? Because we don't have mechanical computers that are running, you know, running software. So it's got to be electromechanical, um, really. And so that's part of what's got to be included, and that's what really en enables the software to reach out and touch the hardware. Is the 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 uh, you know electro pneumatic electro hydraulic electro machine manipulation of the eventual hardware that does the physical thing yep yeah. in in your history in the in the automotive space which spans many years as as you explained at the beginning john what's the what's the one thing that surprises you the most of when you look at that history to where we're at now is it I never thought 15 years ago or even five years ago EVs would be as big. I never thought uh, a technology like what Tula has uh, would be real. What's the one thing that sort of sticks out to you that when you look back, you say, yeah, over my career, or at least my first 20 years or whatever it might be, I would have never expected this to happen or I would have never expected something we've done for now 30 years to now suddenly change, right? What's the one thing that sticks out to you? I, hes you know, I hesitate to say electric vehicles, but, you know, all the way back in the 80s, you know, they were there. There was an electric vehicle, you know, over 100 years ago, right? But, but I think at that time when we thought about it and, you know, we all, you know, got out our pad of paper and did a little calc and said, holy cow, it's going to take, take an incredible battery to drive, so it's not going to happen. So, you know, going back to, to my, you know, my admiration or excitement about what's happening in the battery space, I would say, yeah, the electrification of, of, uh, of, of mobility and, and I would say most of, the, uh, most of the accomplishment to make that happen, I would say, is probably in, in the battery space when you look at uh, power density, either, either volume or weight power density and durability. Okay, it's just it's just nothing like that existed way back when you know back in in let's say the dark ages of of my youth, um, you know I would say you know smart smartphones we take them for granted now but I I think back you know I remember when the you know the the BlackBerry was was you know amazing you know you can send an email from your phone that's incredible 
Um, so I would say, you know, the you know, our ability to, to communicate, yeah, and and I would say uh, um, the connectivity that we all enjoy now through 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 internet, through smartphone, through ability to collaborate, ability to be in a position to, you know, tolerate, survive COVID the way we did. You know, if that would have happened a uh, decade or two earlier, it would have been a different story. I feel anyway, I, I you know, at least in our company. So we're a software, software in Cal and um, IP company. So we didn't have to, you know, we run a couple dynamometers, but I think through COVID we were able to, you know, work at home pretty seamlessly. Um, whereas obviously, you know, for many, many, many people, it was, you know, it was a catastrophe, of course. Very good. Well, thank you, John, for your time. Thanks for explaining an interesting technology that you uh, are working on it now, and uh, good luck with it, and thank you very much for your time. Many thanks to you, Stefan. My pleasure being with you today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Reimagine Mobility Podcast. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend.